Friends, we can all listen to the sunny side of sports. Great show, bro. This is sunny side of sports. Right here on the Voice of America. Voice of America. Sporty greetings to all our Voice of America listeners. This is VOA's Sonny Young in Washington. Welcome to the November 9th edition of the sunny side of sports with international football's premier event kicking off in 11 days. I'm joined by my friend and colleague, Muck Bill Yabaro for some Qatar 2022 World Cup analysis. Sporty World Cup greetings, Muck Bill. Sporty World Cup greetings to you too, Sonny. Muckbill, the Black Stars of Ghana will be making their fourth World Cup appearance in Qatar. They're in Group H, along with Portugal, Uruguay, and South Korea. Who are the players to watch for the Black Stars? Sonny, this is a tough group that Ghana finds themselves in. Portugal, the clear favorite of the group, and then it's anyone's game after that, as they say. (laughs) As for the players to watch, I'd have to start off with Daniel Amarte, a center back that plays for Leicester City. With his experience playing at a high level both for his club and his national side, I'd also have to add the captain of the Black Stars, Andrew Ayew. Even though he's uh, 32 years old, he has the veteran leadership that this team will need to make it happen. After having played in both France and England for elite teams, he is now with the Qatari side, Al Saad. Hopefully playing in Qatar gives his team the calm that they need in this group. Lastly, I'll have to say Abdul Fatuwu Ishahaku, the 18-year-old attacking midfielder, and he's already played for the Ghanaian national side and is playing for the Portuguese Giants Sporting CP. For him to be playing at this level at this age means he will be a problem for years to come. Muckbill, Ghana's head coach, Otto Addo, played for the Black Stars at the 2006 World Cup in Germany. How can such World Cup playing experience help in his coaching role? Sonny, similarly to Ali Ucise, Otto Addo is going to be coaching from a place of experience. When you're able to get your players to buy into your strategy and they know what you've been able to accomplish in your career, it is very helpful. Also, here's another African coach coaching a team that he's played for in the past and his past experience may make him relatable to the younger and less experienced players the black stars might be my sentimental favorite when it comes to africa's five world cup bound teams my very first trip to africa was in 2001 when i traveled to ghana and muckbill i also have fond memories of doing world cup q a's with the voice of America's late, great, gallant Ghanaian, King Richard Cote. King Richard loved the Black Stars, Muckbill. But sentiment aside, Muckbill, this looks like a very tough group for Ghana. The Black Stars kick off their World Cup campaign on November 24th against Cristiano Ronaldo in Portugal. How do you see that match, Muckbill? Sonny, I'm not going to sugarcoat it for the Black Stars, but they have a very, very tall task in that match against Portugal. Also, Cristiano Ronaldo is at the tail end of his career and has had his own issues with his club, Manchester United, where the world fell in love with his playing style for years. 
If the Black Stars can keep the likes of Ronaldo from playing his style of finesse football and get physical, they'll stand their best chance in that game. Honestly, a win against the Portuguese side would be unreal. But even a draw in that group stage would do wonders for the Black Stars. Muckbill Ghana will wrap up World Cup group play against Uruguay on December 2nd. The Black Stars, of course, lost in controversial fashion to Uruguay in the World Cup quarterfinals in South Africa in 2010. Is revenge a factor, Muckbill? Or is that loss so long ago, it simply doesn't matter much now to this current batch of Black Stars? Sonny, that match was 12 years ago, and the team is almost completely different, but I feel like that game shocked all of Africa and not just Ghana. To say that there won't be any feeling of revenge would be an understatement. And Luis Suarez is going to be on that squad playing against Ghana, so it will be a factor, I believe. Also, any reason you can have to want to go into a game extra hard for a specific match, you'll use anything to get out of those group stage matches. Muckbill, in late September, in a friendly World Cup warm-up match, Ghana defeated Nicaragua 1-0 on a goal by 18-year-old Abdul Fatou Isahaku, another young Black Stars player, 22-year-old Mohamed Kudus, has been earning kudos playing for Ajax in Europe. Muckbill, do you see these young black stars shining brightly in Qatar? Sonny, it is funny you mentioned these bright young stars. I had previously mentioned Abdul Fatou Ishaku in the key players to watch. And if I could have added just one more player, it would have been Mohamed Kudus. These young stars play with so much heart and conviction and aren't scared of the big moment. Be prepared for them to look great, and I really think they will shock us in these group stages. That's all from me. Back to you, Sonny. Thanks, Muckbill. That's my VOA colleague, Muckbill Yabaro, speaking with us here in Washington. This is the voice of America. Washington, D.C. Ghana's World Cup coach, Otto Addo, will be assisted in Qatar by technical advisor Chris Hewton, who spent most of his playing career with Tottenham Hotspur as a left back. Since hanging up his football boots, Hewton has managed a handful of English football clubs, in this encore sunny side of sports presentation, Yawafusu Larbi in Accra tells us more about the 63-year-old Hewton. Hewton is half Ghanaian. He was born to a Ghanaian father and an Irish mother and says working for Ghana now is huge for him. Firstly, it's a pleasure. Um, and I am aware of um, some uh, talks before you know, and some speculation before. Uh, and I think that's, that's normal because my father is from, uh, from Accra. So I think that's normal. Uh, I think as regards management, my management has always been, you know, day-to-day club management, you know, as a manager and a, and a, and a head coach. Um, so at this stage, this stage of my life and career to be involved, albeit in a different role with the, the Black Stars, is uh, something that's a, a huge honour for me. I've uh, always had that connection. Um, 
you know, my, my background is very different. You know, I, my father, of course, from uh, Accra. My mother is Irish. Uh, I played for Ireland for uh, 10 years and in some, some uh, big games. And, of course, I was born and brought up in, in London, England. Um, but I've always been very conscious of my background. Um, so whenever Ghana played, and particularly whenever Ghana played in the, the, the big games, then uh, I was always there, in my mind, always there supporting and, and uh, absolutely hoping that the, the team would do well. Because I knew that any way that the team could do well, it would be good for the development of the, the country and, of course, football in the country. I haven't seen so much more than what I already knew. You know, I, I, I know the, the, the history of uh, Ghanaian football, you know, international, more international football, I have to be honest, than, uh, than club local football. So I know the history, I know about the World Cups and, and of course it's, it's how you deem the World Cups and, and always, always, maybe it will change, but always I think when an African team gets to the World Cup, you know, that is success getting there. So I've always been very, very conscious of, uh, of uh, what there is here and the development. Um, but the, the satisfying thing for me since my involvement is uh, a lot of the young talent that's there, a lot of the um, young Ghanaians that are either first-generation or second-generation Ghanaians, even playing abroad, that are now being brought to my attention. So, um, you know, that, that is, I think, an exciting prospect, certainly going into the future. One thing Hilton has done very well is to strengthen the team by scouting around the world and speaking to Ghanaians in the diaspora to choose playing for Ghana. Already, six players have decided to play for the Black Stars, and amongst them is Athletic Bilbao's Inyaki Williams and Brighton's Tariq Lamte, two players who will improve the Black Stars team in many ways. This is a subject um, that... that that I think will always, and you said it's, it's been a, a divisive um, a subject, um, but I think it's, it's a subject that so many other countries have had to deal with. And, and even, you know, I spoke about representing the, the Republic of Ireland, and very similar. You know, they, they have, you know, a, a very good uh, domestic league, um, but of course most of the players play abroad. And, of course, a lot of those players are, are second-generation uh, Irish. So I think it's, it is um, a structure that a lot of international organisations have, have, have had to cope with. And it is one about getting the balance, because one thing that I have been made aware of is that, that um, the domestic and local leagues here is a very good league, and it's very competitive, and I've seen that in my time uh, being involved. Uh, and we have to make sure that for those that are doing well, that they are very much in our thoughts. So it is about getting that balance. Ultimately, ultimately for the senior national team, it's about getting the best squad possible to, to win football matches. The first thing is, is about a willingness to want to be involved and, uh, and want to play. And you know, one thing I can tell you is that in my short period of time here, the, um, the, the new recruits as such uh, that we have have showed great enthusiasm so far. So uh, I am uh, absolutely positive that for, for any new players, new recruits that come into the squad, um, they will have no difficulty 
um, getting the, the right balances. My experiences of the squad so far is it's, it's a very, very good environment to come into, a very competitive environment, um, uh, uh, an environment also that, um, that wants to represent the country and wants to do well for the country and know what it means. And um, so I, I, I would anticipate no problems in them uh, mixing in with the group and, and getting the feel of what's important. Hilton may be technical advisor, but he's heavily involved in the development of football by reaching out to young footballers and helping their careers. That's a win for football in Ghana. For the sunny side of sports, this is Yao Fusulabi. Thanks, Yao. This is sunny side of sports. Nigerian singer Daddy Shoki crowed about the sunny side of sports, but I know Senegalese football fans are not crowing about this story out of Germany. Senegal's captain Sadio Mane was injured Tuesday in Bayern Munich's 6-1 win over Werder Bremen. And now there are big question marks whether Mane will play in the World Cup. Mane went down about 15 minutes into the match with a knee injury and was replaced by Leroy Sané. Bayern's head coach, Julian Nagelsmann, said Mane took a blow near the top of his shin and he will be x-rayed. The French sports newspaper L'Equipe reports Mane is suffering from a tendon issue that will sideline him for weeks. That would be a cruel blow for Senegal, which plays the Netherlands in its first World Cup match on November 21st. Senegal's head coach, Aliou Cisse, is expected to name his World Cup squad later this week. Sadio Mane helped lead Senegal to its first African title earlier this year in Cameroon. You're listening to the sunny side of sports on The Voice of America. My Voice of America colleague, Gwen Uden, reports a historic soccer ball used in the 1986 World Cup quarterfinal between Argentina and England is expected to fetch at least $3 million at an auction November 16th. Sporty greetings, Gwen. Sporty greetings, Sonny. Those who plan to travel to Doha will have a chance to travel back in time and relive some of the greatest moments in World Cup history inside the brand new 3-2-1 Qatar Olympic and Sports Museum. Some of the tournament's rarest and most treasured objects are currently on display in a showcase dubbed the World of Football Exhibition. And among the dozens of shirts and shoes worn by some of the greatest athletes to ever play the sport hangs the famous Hand of God jersey worn by Argentine soccer legend Diego Maradona in the 1986 World Cup quarterfinals in Mexico. Last May, the number 10 was auctioned off to a secret buyer for a record-breaking $9 million U.S. dollars, the highest price ever paid for sports memorabilia. That shirt is now on loan to the Sports Museum in Qatar. Now, the football touched by the feet and hand of Maradona during that legendary World Cup match is going up for auction in London later this month. The auction will be conducted by Graham Budd, who says he expects the football to fetch upwards of $3 million. 
There were, there were three goals scored with that one football. The first one, as you quite rightly say, was one of the most controversial goals of all time, the hand of God goal. Um, and then the second goal was the other side of Maradona, that sort of flawed genius, which was this virtuoso effort, which was voted goal of the century, uh, 20th century in a FIFA poll. Uh, and then the third goal, Gary Lineker won the golden boot by scoring it. So it's a really historic ball and one of, one of the most famous World Cup matches in history. And we're expecting it to fetch between two and a half and three million pounds. As you just heard Graham Budd describe, the historic football was used throughout the 1986 World Cup quarterfinal between England and Argentina. The ball found the back of the net three times in the second half of the match. The first two goals were scored by Diego Maradona for Argentina. In the first, Maradona got ahead of English goalkeeper Peter Shilton, and instead of heading the ball, Maradona palmed it into England's net in a goal he later described as helped by the hand of God. Minutes later, Maradona performed a mesmerizing dribble past six English opponents to score what is commonly referred to as the goal of the century. The third goal was made by England, but they weren't able to score an equalizer, and Argentina won the match 2-1. And as auctioneer Graham Budd points out, Diego Maradona single-handedly transformed that 1986 World Cup match into one of the greatest games in football history. It is, you know, it is the hand of God ball from the hand of God match, and um, it's not just a sort of an England-Argentina thing. You can you can mention the hand of God match in the football nations of the world, and they'll know exactly what you're talking about and uh, and its importance in, in football history. It's just going to be one of those matches that will be talked about and remembered uh, for eternity, really. Former England footballer Terry Butcher was part of the defense that Maradona famously passed to score the goal of the century. Butcher says the football that's now up for auction brings back a flood of memories from 1986 and some bitter emotions for what he believes was a missed call that led to his side's quarterfinal exit. Um, it's a bit surreal um, because I didn't get many touches of the ball. <laughs> so it's uh, the closest I've been to that ball for uh, 36 years, I think it is. So, yeah, it's, it's a bit of sweet memories for me. Um, obviously, to play for him and then a World Cup quarterfinal at that stage for me was, was really exciting. But then to lose under the circumstances that we lost is uh, very, very depressing. And bits leaves a bit of taste in the mouth. Still does. Still, still got that feeling as well. It's looking very deflated, the ball. Not as deflated as we were after the game, but it is not quite the shape that you remember it. But it is, it is quite unique. And it's, it's unique, obviously, for the hand of God, for the, for the um, wonderful second goal that he scored, which is not so wonderful from our point of view, but it's, uh, it's iconic. It'll never be uh, reproduced. There'll never be another ball like it in football. It's probably the most famous football in, in football history. And in another piece of World Cup history, the iconic Adidas Azteca football is being sold by Tunisian Ali bin Nassar. The referee who officiated the 1986 World Cup quarterfinal match and awarded Argentina their controversial first goal. Following that iconic match, Ali bin Nassar claimed the famous Hand of God football that is now set to go up for auction on November 16th in London. And that is all from me, Sonny. Back over to you. Thanks, Gwen.
That's my VOA colleague, Gwen Uden. Hi, this is Larry London, the host of VOA's Border Crossings, where we feature music and interviews along with your favorite artists from around the world. Tune in and interact live with us here in Washington, D.C. Hello, Shirin. Hello, Larry. How are you? Good. How are you tonight? Border Crossings comes to you Monday through Friday at 1500 UTC GMT. Thanks, Larry. That's Larry London, a man who's always ready to cross musical borders. I encourage our sunny side of sports listeners to follow me on Facebook and Twitter. My Facebook address is facebook.com forward slash VOA Sunny. Once again, that address, facebook.com forward slash VOA Sunny. And my Twitter handle is at VOA Sunny Sports. Once again, my Twitter handle, at VOA Sunny Sports. Now let's go to Rabat, Morocco, where semifinal matches will be played Wednesday at the CAF Women's Champions League football tournament. The host team, Asfar from Morocco, will meet Bielsa Queens of Nigeria in one semifinal. And defending champion Mamalodi Sundowns of South Africa will play Simba Queens of Tanzania in the other semifinal. For a preview, Iron Mike Mbonye called Rabat, where he reached African women's football analyst Sam Amadou. Looking at the semifinals, interesting features coming up, and uh, uh, we'll, we'll have the likes of... Uh, uh, Green Buffalo, uh, Green Buffalo already exiting the competition. Now we have Bayesa Queens from Nigeria as the Waffle Zone B uh, champions, and we also have uh, the champions, the title holders uh, in Mamadou Sanda, still very much in the competition, and uh, uh, the hosts as far uh, of Morocco still very much involved. And uh, uh, the, the the last but not the least, uh, Simba Queens from East Africa, uh, the East African champions are also in the mix. And you know, four teams uh, we're going to be seeing a, a matchup between. Uh, Simba Queens and Holders, uh, Mamalu Sundowns in the semifinals, in the, four, in the second semifinals, where the four semifinals we have uh, will come up between uh, Baisa Queens of Nigeria from Wafuzun B and also uh, host nation, host club rather, uh, Asfa of Morocco. Definitely going to be an interesting tie, you know, between Asfa and Morocco and also uh, of, of Baisa Queens. This definitely would somewhat uh, rekindle the rivalry, the, 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 the imagined rivalry between Nigeria and Morocco. Recall uh, in the semifinals also of the Women's uh, African Cup of Nations. Sam, what's your assessment of the matches played so far? in the second edition of the CAF Women's Champions League. Level of competition has been quite high. We, some surprises has emerged. Simba Queens are now becoming the tonic of the competition. They've managed to bounce back. The same, the same vein, Vaisa Queens has, has also uh, ran up. I think it's impressive to see that teams are really pushing and uh, are pushing hard. And you could imagine how tough and the intensity of the competition at this level. And uh, you only say it's just the second edition, but I can tell you, uh, we were seeing, uh, besides seeing emerging stars, we've seen 
very great uh, uh, coaching techniques, seen great tactical play, we've seen brilliant ideas from the coaches, the players who are also managing the level of the game. And this is what we hope to see, at least in a couple of competitions to come. Hopefully, the competition has expanded. But again, at this level, it is amazing what we've seen. You see technically how these teams get to prepare for some of these games, regardless of how tough and how how tricky those opponents could be, they've managed to grant that result. And it's surprising when you see the likes of Greenwood Palace, who, who their Zambia, Zambia national team side did excel during the World Confederation third of the competition, third in the competition, you must really give credit to uh, some of these teams who are also managing to hold their own. Simba Queens shocking a, a Zambian a club, Zambian champion. Uh, it's it's really interesting. And this is boring down to uh, the, the huge potential in the team and also uh, the, the brilliant coaching techniques uh, these coaches are also exemplifying at this level. And I think it's it shows that the future of women's football in Africa is bright. And we've seen uh, a lot of coaches now are getting opportunities, handling the women's national team and also making huge impacts for their teams. And I think you see CP Mozambique, many of these teams bowing out uh, on a high. And it's really give credence and also give so much uh, a, a great benefit of that to this team that in future competition they can always are going to make impact so i think going to the the, the, the final four we definitely would uh, can't wait to see much more exciting uh competition and there also intensity a uh, high level intensity and improvement from all the teams involved and i believe definitely in the finals uh, the, the semi-finals third days and finals would definitely give us a lot to serve a lot to savor sam amadu just gave us a lot to savor from Rabat, Morocco, where semifinal action is taking place in the second edition of the CAF Women's Champions League. And Sam spoke with Iron Mike Mbonye on the telephone from Rabat. Hi, I'm Kim Lewis. Join me and our panel of journalists as we discuss the top stories of the week, including results of the critically important U.S. midterm elections. We'll examine how these results could impact the lives of Americans in the months ahead. For this and more, join us for Issues in the News this Saturday and Sunday on The Voice of America. Hi, I'm Francis Tiafo. You're listening to Sunny Side of Sports. On Voice of America. Francis Tiafo is inspiring young players here in the USA and in his parents' homeland of Sierra Leone after he advanced to the semifinals at the recent U.S. Open tennis tournament in New York. VOA's Jackson Vungani reports. Francis Tiafo's thrilling run at this year's U.S. Open ended after his loss in the semifinals to Carlos Alcaraz at the Arthur Ashe Stadium. The 24-year-old Sierra Leonean-American Tiafo calls his run at the U.S. Open a Cinderella story. I mean, anybody can do it, honestly. Obviously, that's a cliche, but I think uh, if you're really passionate about something, everybody's got a gift. Um, just kind of just tapping into that and um, and really taking it seriously. Um and if you're truly, truly passionate about something, I think anything can happen um, and being just obsessed with it. Right now, I'm just really obsessed with tennis, and I want to see how far I can go with this thing. You know, everyone loves the Cinderella story, so, I mean, let's try and make one. Even though Tiafo didn't win the U.S. Open Championship, he continues to be an inspiration to thousands of young tennis players around the world 
including these young tennis players in Freetown, Sierra Leone. Football has motivated me more because for a tennis player to reach that kind of level, that kind of level, it will take you much, much training, like training harder every day, every hour, minutes, and like training is not, is not that much easier. That is Messe Conte. She practices each day at this Serionian Tennis Association facility in the capital, Freetown. Tatu Conte is a junior champion. She says that it takes a lot of patience and discipline to achieve that level of success in tennis. I've been following him when he was struggling with his dad and mom, sleeping on the tennis court, finding it difficult to have facilities, even to have sponsors, to have coach. It was not easy for him. But now since he loved the sport and there are opportunities, so now he's playing well. One thing I've learned is that you have to be you have to love the game, passion for the game, because for Francis to reach to that level, it takes patience. It was not easy. So Amadou Bangura is the Sierra Leone tennis head coach. He says that his students continue to be inspired by Tiafo and his work ethic on the court. Francis Tiafo have already inspired um, players. That you always um, um, explain to me that coach, I want to be like uh, Francis Tiafoe. That's Sierra Leone tennis coach Amadou Bangura. And thanks to my VOA colleague Jackson Vunganyi for that report. And that wraps up the November 9th edition of the show. Thank you for tuning in. I'm VOA Sunny Young in Washington. I get it. And that's the sunny side of sports.